0: For 20% off. Heyo. Back. Western Rookie episode 56. How's it going, man?
1: Yes, sir. Dude, it's going. Yeah? I'm excited, man. It's going to be a good episode. I, I just, there's something about looking forward to Western hunts while you're in, like, the draw season or the application season. I don't know. I don't know if it's just that extra element of, like, I might be able to draw something awesome this year or what, but it's going to be a good episode.
0: Yeah. And it's, and it's also in the middle of shed season, like shed seasons here. So it's like, you're applying for Western hunts. You're talking about the fall. You're getting excited to get out and find some antlers. I just got all my shed season swag from Dwayne. Yes, sir. So rocking the new hat. It came with this, uh, soft side tape. That's retractable. I've been using these like 10 foot Taylor's tapes. And so every time I score a shed, I got to wrap up 10 foot tape. So I'm super excited for this. And then get this. It comes with a the back side of it's actually um centimeters. And so I'm gonna play some jokes on social media and like score some sheds with the centimeter side and be like,
1: oh dude, that'd be killer. Oh dude, the
0: 156-inch buck here, and everyone's just gonna blow their <laughs> gaskets.
1: They're gonna lose their minds, man. My my son has, I think, confiscated all of those tape measures. Th- those are his favorite toys to play with. Oh. He just retracts them, lets them go, retracts or like pulls them out dude retracts them
0: this is the and OG he swings
1: one. them around dude those og ones they're they're durable they work but they are so annoying when they come unraveled
0: yeah and i've used i've scored so many antlers with this one i i uh, lost the metal end to it so i'm definitely overdue oh, for no one
1: yep hey at least you got that new that new soft retractable one
0: oh yeah yeah shed season gotta get your shed season
1: swag Heck yeah, man. Um, I don't know Dude, if Ryan's uh,
0: a big shed hunter. Our guest tonight, Ryan Steve I don't think he's as big into the sheds as he is into just like a Western deer killer.
1: He likes to shoot. He likes to collect sheds on full bodies.
0: Yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't want the participation trophy. He just wants first place. <laughs>
1: He wants first place every time. Yeah, dude. I mean from everything you've told me about him, he is a top qualifier quite a bit.
0: Well, and get this, we we hired him in my group at work as a like an intern and it's very corporate America type company and so you you never really know how much you should like really talk about your you know firearm and hunting stuff on the first day. Yep. And by the end of the first week man, we were talking like tags and strategies and units and like the it just happens to be we're both on the same wavelength.
1: Nice. Yeah. Dude, when you can find somebody like that at work, it makes everything so much better. I've worked I've worked in a lot of like all men fields and uh positions and it is just it's insane to me when I when I'm working with like seven other dudes and I can't find a single like outdoorsman among the bunch. That drives me nuts. I'm like, "None of you? None of you even like to fish?" Oh, well I t- I took my kid fishing last summer. And I'm like, "No, no, no, that's <laughs> not what I meant." Like <laughs> one time. Yeah. Go- going one time last summer is not that does not qualify you as a fisherman.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you never know who you're going to like get like you, you can't really choose your coworkers either like you can't choose your family can't choose your co-workers very easily and so yep. you're like i'm stuck with this dude that just talks unless about- you start
1: your you yeah. got to start your own business man yeah then start you can. your own
0: business yeah then you can choose <laughs> you're gonna be the only coworker for a while but yeah
1: so dude uh on the shed topic i found my first shed of the year
0: i was just gonna bring that up i you sent me a picture of it i don't think we've talked about
1: it on the podcast it was a good shed too it was last year's right last year's shed Last year's shed, the entire brow tine had been chewed off, ah. and it had been chewed all the way through. Actually, I think I've got it. It's in a backpack in this room somewhere. Um, it chewed like halfway through the main beam also. Oh, so it's like, I mean, it, if I bent it a little too hard, it would probably snap off. But, dude, I put on I didn't put on a ton of miles on foot. I just checked a couple really good spots where I was like, there's got to be one in here. I'd never shed hunted these spots before. And then about, I don't know, thirty-seven acres of beans, but it's like a rolling hill with beans. Uh obviously all cut. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna drive up and down this on the four-wheeler and look for sheds. And there's two seasonal ponds that are just all overgrown and nasty and look like great bedding area. And I was driving around one of those and I looked down and this thing was glowing. I mean as close to a beam coming through the cloud as you can get that. I mean, it was just like right there in front of me. So
0: it's something about like ponds and water sources, you know, up here they're froze solid, but it must be like when things are starting to warm up, those deer looking for water. Cause I, I find sheds on ponds and water sources and like, and you know, berms every single year, I can't walk past one anymore. I've found so many. Like you have to go check it out. It's there's something about those ads. And I saw the reel. I actually just saw the reel today. Um and I remember what was it, episode fifty-three. We were talking about you bought a farm and you were checking out the neighbors yep. and then you got permission on like two new farms. Was it one of those farms you got permission on?
1: No, so this is this is a farm that I've had permission on longer than I've lived out there, actually. Um I mean, even the first time, because I used to live about a mile from where where we just bought land, mm. and I've had this property, I've had permission on this property for probably eight years now, um, but I haven't done a ton with it. You know, like there's, I know there's other neighbors that actually hunt that same property. The guy was super open to letting people come and hunt his land. He never said no to anybody. And so I've I've kind of been like, hey, listen, I'm not going to stir the pot. I've got other land out here I can hunt. So I've kind of stayed away from it. But shed season, I'm like, dude, I'm just going to cruise over there. I've got trail cameras up. Honestly, I'm going to talk to the neighbors and not give too much away. But the biggest buck I have ever had on trail camera was on that property. And I was really hoping that I would find his sheds because I don't know how big they're going to be. I'm hoping for like a 70-inch side. Dude, 70's big. That That's a sweet ale. It's, I mean, here's the deal. I've never scored a shed. I've only scored a couple bucks in my entire life. Yeah. But this one buck, man, he has a brow tine that is longer than his G2, and his G2 comes up and forks. Oof. Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, this one that I showed you earlier from
0: this season, I just scored it with my new shed season soft side tape. And this one is like 62, but he's he's tight. Like you can tell, he's kind of tight. He doesn't have a very long beam, um, but you can kind of start to picture like a 70 inch antler, man. You're talking about like a stud buck. You're you know you're 155 right off the bat, like a 155 caliber buck. If he's tight, yeah. If he's wide, you're
1: talking 160. So I'm gonna show you this on here. I don't know if I sent this to you. This is the buck. Look. Look at that! Oh yeah, brow time. That's probably a seventy in Chandler.
0: Is he? Does he I, have a? Does he have a G four? Is that his? Yeah, beam? he does. Okay.
1: No, no, that's a G four. His beam cuts in. Yeah. Uh, right in that picture, it looks like it's it's cut off, but he's got it in. I Like I said, I've never scored a shed before, but I was just thinking like, dude, that's got to be probably close to 70 inches. We
0: got to hook you up. Well, ironically, all of those sheds on my top wire behind me, none of them crack 70. I have the world record for the number of 67-inch four-point sheds. (laughs) (laughs) There's like five of them on that wall that are all 66, 67, 68-inch four-point sides.
1: What would you do if I go out in like my third shed – my third whitetail shed ever found was a 70 inch side.
0: Dude, I'd I'd give it to you because I'm batting a 315 average on bull
1: elk. Yeah, yeah. All right. No, okay. And you got I, me on you that. You can't have
0: all the love, right? So I'll, I'd give you that one. I'll give <laughs> you that. All, no, you it, would take cool. that. <laughs> it would be cool. It would be cool. I saw. I have some. I have some buddies that I met shed hunting, and they're from Northeast Iowa. And his brother found a clean 5.90 inch side last year.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah,
0: like, literal 200-inch caliber buck. and Just insane. They're just shed-hunting fools. Between him and his brother,
1: they find, like,
0: knocking on 250 sheds a year. Whitetail sheds.
1: Jeez, dude. Yeah, I don't think I know. Well, I mean, I know you and I know a couple other guys who find a lot of sheds. But I think in, like, my, in a very, very large friend group that I've got, I don't think all of us combined would add up to 250 sheds. Like That's a lot. That's most, a lot bone. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking like over the course of our entire lives. Most of the guys love to hunt. They absolutely love to hunt. Obviously, if they find an antler, they're going to pick it up. But I, I think for the most part, none of them go out specifically for sheds. And honestly, I, I hadn't really done a lot of that. Until I started sending now, you picture
0: man. after picture last year,
1: I was just baiting dude. you. Until I saw your social media, and I was like, "This idiot can't even see the one that's right behind." Yeah, me. I gotta <laughs> go out and pick these up. forever.
0: <laughs> forever dude, forever. I get so much slack online for that. It's just all fun. It's all pure fun. But, well, I see oh. Ryan popped into the the lobby. Let's get him in here and kick this
1: episode off. What do you say? Sounds good, man. Awesome. You're listening to the Western Rookie.
0: If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. Hey
1: guys. Yeah. How's it going? Oh, hey, what's going
0: on, man? Doing good. Doing good. So Ryan, Ryan, this is Dan, Dan Ryan. Ryan and I work together and uh, Dan is the current, he was the co-host, invited me on to, to be co-host with him, so. um,
2: Sure. Yeah, yeah. I started following some of you guys' stuff, so. Uh, listened to a few podcasts. Had a couple long drives this weekend, so nice. I got the gist of it. So nice, nice. So so Dan Ryan is he's a flatlander. Really like this guy with the
1: sheds in the background. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. You gotta you gotta have your street cred showing over your shoulder, right?
2: Yeah, some of it. I got I, I did that for a reason. I got some uh, some lessons, I guess, to teach about uh, deer like that behind me. So <laughs> um, we'll we'll get into that. Nice. So. Yeah, Ryan's a Flatlander like me. Uh,
0: grew up in Minnesota and then got the bug for the West and, and has been just grinding the last couple of years. Um, so Absolutely. yeah, yeah. So it's been exciting, man. Um,
1: Dude, that's awesome, man.
0: Yeah, Ryan got hired on as like a part-time student in my group. And, it, and then it just so happens that he was like a huge hunter too. So I'm like, oh, sweet. Finally, someone in my group that like gets it, you know, like what'd you do this weekend? Oh, yeah. like we did hockey and we did baseball. And then Ryan's over there like, yeah, I went out West and shot like 80 honkers. Like,
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it, <laughs> you, I mean, you're almost BSing in your way through uh, talking to other coworkers. And then it's like, you find the few that, that hunt and it's like, okay, here we go. Let's have some good convo. So yeah.
1: It's, yeah, it's no longer small talk. It's actually like, this is what we're into.
0: Yeah. 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 Basically. Like, I think it was like after week one, I was like, so are you hunting in like this unit out west or that? You like we're talking about like trying to figure out how to get these back in North Dakota, how to draw a buck tag without burning your mule deer points because you have to, it's, it's just deer points. Like you can't do like a mule deer versus a whitetail. So you don't really want to burn your, your deer points just to go shoot a whitetail when there's muleys on the table, but it takes like three, four years to drop muley. So you want to like, we're trying to figure out like, Hey, you think this unit would be better to get like a second chance white tail buck? But and then it's like, yeah, but there's like no public in that unit.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. North Dakota's tricky, but uh if you willing to travel, I mean, it's, it's a great state for, as a resident. Yeah. Um Yeah. You're, you're pulling the tag every year if, if you really want it.
0: Yeah. Especially for archery. Dude, was it was it last year, Ryan, or the year before you shot three whitetails in two states in two days?
2: Uh last year. Yeah. Last year I was whitetail heavy. Yeah, <laughs> bunch of western whitetails. I ended up shooting like three three whitetails west of the Missouri. So
1: yeah, yeah, that sounds tough. I can I can tell you sound very <laughs> upset about that. Yeah, I was very whitetail heavy. I just shot like three bucks. No big deal.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that western whitetail, I mean, a few people touched on it, but not many. Um, it's it's totally underrated in the west. Um, it gets you out there a lot easier than anything else. Um, it's a fun time.
0: And it's it's so much more, f- I think it's more fun western whitetail hunting than eastern whitetail hunting sometimes. Because you're just out west, you're seeing game, You just, it's like, there's a puck I want to shoot you, just like walk over there, go shoot it. Like
2: yeah. It's totally different. It's a totally different game. Um, you know, all the same strategies that she's using for muleys and, and elk. Um, discer- yeah, deciphering terrain um, is definitely a huge part of it, whereas out east it's it's talking about, you know, where is their food, where is their bedding? Well, out in the open prairie and stuff, it's like it is so hard to even tell what's what's the best bedding and food. It's like they're eating, you know, not much, <laughs> or weird, weird food sources that an Eastern wouldn't understand. So, uh, it's all about covering ground and glassing. So just like you would muleys and elk. So yeah, it's, it's fun.
0: I think Ryan, I think you, you and I first trip was like the exact same as Dan and my first hunt together, like a disaster train of a shed hunt. <laughs> yeah i remember ryan and i we left what did we leave fargo like four in the morning three in the morning drove across the entire state to go find some mule deer sheds not knowing oh, a darn right, yeah. thing and i had a buddy from alec with me and we just like picked a threw a dart at the map go out there turns out muleys don't shed in early february Um, so we just like drove around and looked for coyotes the whole weekend and did a couple short walks. And everywhere we walked, we saw like muley bucks holding and none none of them were even big. So it's kind of a disaster train of a, of a first shed hunt.
2: Yeah. I think we, uh, we covered our ground by saying that it was, uh, a scouting, a shed scouting trip.
0: And then we never went back.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah. <laughs> Which is basically kind of the similar, kind of a similar first hunt that I brought Dan. Well, Dan technically brought me on, but I was supposed to like come in and be like shed hunting counselor, like you know, guidance on what we should do and how to find a bunch of sheds. And it kind of went equally as bad for- on my end. Dan found one, but
2: yeah, but yeah, exactly. To your
1: credit, I mean, it wasn't a lot of property. It, I mean, we had a couple small chunks. Most of it, though at that time of year they're hanging out in cover all the crop fields are cut i mean we just we've never really gone out there and done it and honestly we didn't even we didn't even find a shed except for on the neighbor's property who we didn't initially have permission for yeah we got permission for that and then went over there and that's the only spot that had one
0: yeah meanwhile i was like as sick as as a dog you know blew in the gills bent over um you know emptying my stomach and Dan's over there I found one so what
2: state was that in that was Wisconsin
0: <laughs> we met in Wisconsin. Wisconsin yeah Dan grew up in Wisconsin so we had some family ties and some family land we met we met up for a quick one but um sure yeah so tell us you tell us a little bit about your season last year because you also did some elk hunting um and and I I've I kind of like I really kind of regret how elk season turned out for me and my brother and we'll get into that a little yeah. bit but yeah give us the lowdown on how you went about your your elk season especially last year because you, you kind of did the same threw a pin at the map and and, and had success
2: sure yeah in general I had a heck of a season last year um but i guess for elk specifically um you know got the montana general and um i i gotta start with archery because we did go archery and um absolutely gonna call that a success, even though I wasn't the one that killed a bull. Um, but yeah, we went out for uh, Archery Elk and um our, our first day actually um drove through the night. I, we do that a lot. I don't know why, but um got the got to the trailhead like you know five thirty in the morning and we're off on our way by six thirty. And um I mean essentially we found our bull by eight 30, had him dead by, by nine 30. Um, and I, that was such a sweet hunt even for me because I was behind the call. Um, I love calling whatever it comes to. I mean, elk turkeys, ducks, whatever. So that was a, a blast for me. Um, so that was first archery elk uh, success that I've had, um, was this year and that was a heck of a hunt. Um, you know, on my Instagram, you can even see the video. We had three guys there. So, a, a shooter, a videoer, and then I was back behind calling. And um, I mean, that's if you haven't done the classic call in for elk, there is nothing better and, than that to be interacting. Oh, and, he, and
0: Ryan's too humble to say it was also a toad. It was a big bull.
2: Yeah, it was a nice bull. It was for sure.
0: Did you guys ever end up scoring that bull? It was on the other side of 300 for sure.
2: Um, I, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta ask him again if he ended up scoring it, but, um, a solid bowl for Montana in general. I mean, let's be honest for, for archery Montana for
0: driving uh, through the yeah. night, brand new unit. Yeah. Have the bull dead by lunch first day.
2: Yep. Yep. That's, that's not an easy thing to do. Dan's like, uh, sign me up. Units. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude, uh, for real, thing. man,
1: I would take that any day. <laughs> I mean, going into that, what was your favorite type of hunting, and keeping that hunt become your favorite type of hunting?
2: Yeah, um, you're kind of cutting out there, Dan. But uh, I think you were saying like w- before that was the favorite. Um, I mean, I you can't beat muleys out west. Um, you really can't. I, I thoroughly enjoy that, but, um, so it's probably his second trip I've taken for our tree elk. Um, so, I mean, that's gotta be, gotta be up there now, especially after getting some success, but, um, you really can't beat that.
0: Yeah. And, and like you said right before, you know, there's something different about calling those things in. I, I mean, obviously the shooter was close, but were you close enough that when you like bugles back, your chest rattles?
2: Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, positioned back, you know, 30 or so yards, um, you know, out of sight. And I mean, shooter, the shot was seven yards. So we're talking, I mean, if I was in view, I could have shot the elk type thing. So there's nothing better than just slowly hearing that progression coming towards you, um, you know, from a distance. It's unbelievable.
0: Yeah, that's you're gonna get like a <laughs> you're gonna get an
2: unrealistic you got, view I'll of you it. i got to try that at some point.
0: Yeah, I've been trying to convince Dan to archery elk hunt for was it two years now, Dan? And you're like, I just man, I like love my rifle group, I love going with those guys, <laughs> and just we put them down every year. But you know, to hear like, man, you like Ryan's hunt is just the dream, like they come into you, setup's perfect,
1: but there's other states,
0: yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have to all be in Colorado.
1: There's other states that we can hunt, man. I mean, <laughs> for real. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, but what Ryan was also too humble to mention is that him and I were talking about doing a because our group got split and Ryan was trying to get out as well. And so we briefly talked about maybe doing like all four of us together. And my brother was like, I don't know about bringing someone new. Like, you know, I, I, I trust, like, you know, Ryan, that's fine. But I don't know the fourth guy. And, you know, I don't know how this is going to all shake out. And our group, our normal group's already pretty big. So, you know, I, if it's all the same to you, I'd kind of rather just just go our own way. And so I broke the bad yeah. news to Ryan. And then day one, I'm sitting on the mountain and there's Ryan and his buddy with this huge bowl on the ground already. And I showed it to my brother. I was like, this was the guy we were going to go with, by the way. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and you know to be honest when when it, you're talking about doing stuff like that or joining up with groups um i mean i was trying to push where we ended up going like if we were to go together i still would have been saying i think we should go here but um because i mean it, it wasn't such a dart at the map i mean there's a lot of preparation that goes into that and scouting e-scouting yeah um you know so i, I was you know confident in the spot um I think sometimes it's nice to have, you know, two uh two groups going out, um, you know, in a from a particular camp. Um, especially when you're talking about big game that are staged at different elevations. Um, you know, you can get out those first couple of days and have, you know, a couple different experiences and then you come back to camp and you share that and say, well, I didn't see anything at uh, you know, six thousand um in the other group. It was like, uh, there's plenty of bugling at eight. So um that, that can be helpful and just camaraderie at camp. So um, don't so mind. You're
1: saying yeah. you need more people <laughs> to come out and help out and scout and look at different elevations. That's, that's all I got out of that whole, that whole statement.
2: Just, yeah. Muffled out the rest. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, archery elk isn't for everybody. It's not like, it's not one of those things where everybody is, they say they're down to go, um, but it's not always easy to convince them. So, when you find the people that uh, are in for it. Yeah.
0: Well, Dan and I had a a podcast guest just a couple weeks ago and oh my gosh, I mean, that wasn't even archery, but you know, that, like Dan probably knows the story better than me. Um, But it's like, it's not all roses. Like it's hard to pick a good partner. I mean, I don't know Mm -hmm. if you want to like share some of that by episode. Was it 53 Dan?
1: Yeah, I think that's what it was. And, he he went out there and got a guy. Well, the guy invited him actually, and then they get out there, and the guy didn't really want to do any work. He said he couldn't fit any, or he couldn't haul meat in his pack at all.
0: Yeah, he's like this pack don't like, haul meat.
1: Doing <laughs> like I'm I'm trying to go after it. Yeah, this pack don't haul meat, and yeah, like I, I don't I don't understand. I mean, he was still able to get it done, which is awesome, but. I can't imagine being in the backcountry, getting a bull down and then like, oh hey, just a heads up, I'm not helping pack meat out.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Especially for an elk hunt. I mean, meat moving is one of the bigger concerns on an elk hunt. I mean, you can get away with some other stuff for deer, but
0: Yeah, you to need to Dan be all in. Dan's the guy in the camp that shoots the bulls in his Colorado group where everyone tells him not to go.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think I heard about that in the podcast I listened to from you guys. So
1: yeah, that's a hundred percent
2: accurate. <laughs> He's got that selective do hearing. Do. Like they they say,
0: like, yeah, there's elk in there, but don't go shoot one. And his ears just turn off after there's elk in there.
2: Like exactly. Sometimes it's nice to have elk. extra
0: guys in camp to find the different elk. And Dan's
1: like, well, oh, well, that was we, an invitation. We got to take a step back. <laughs> <laughs> it's not selective hearing. I one hundred percent heard exactly what he said. It was it was blunt disobedience. That's <laughs> what you call that not slow?
2: <laughs> as you should, as you should. Honestly, nope. I mean, if if you got the ambition to uh, get there and get it down, I'm I'm a true believer of you'll find a way, find a way to get it back out.
0: I've never thought about it before I pulled the trigger, or or my brother. me me and my brother talk about this all the time. Like we never think about it when there's an elk at 40 yards or with me and my rifle and there's an elk in my scope, like, I don't think about how bad the packout's going to be.
2: Yep. You will find a way. No, to- You
1: can't, you, you second guess that. And all of a sudden the opportunity is gone. And especially with a bow. I'm assuming like the odds of you having a, a elk in range long enough for you to have that conversation and think like, Hey, should we do this right here? By that point, the shot window is gone. I mean, it's moved through the pines or the cedars or whatever you're hunting in. And well, there you go. Now, now the elk made up your decision for you.
0: Yeah. Well, can you imagine at seven yards, like, like Ryan's buddy, you know, Ryan called him into seven yards for the guy. Like there's zero time. Like you have to be at full job by the time he pops into your window.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's a sound game at that point. You're waiting to, as you know, trusting your ears for when to draw. You know, that's crazy concept.
0: Did he hit it frontal then at seven yards?
2: Yep. Yep. Frontal shot came square in. And that's the good thing about calling. I mean, it's like you got to be, you got to always keep your shooter in the middle and stuff. So it's like, I I couldn't have been more proud of, you know, having the frontal right at the shooter. You know, that's what everyone's going for. So.
0: Yeah. That's at seven yards. I mean, you got a 12 inch circle
2: to hit. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, as long as you're I love you got a good backdrop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um have you ever done one with a bow though? Or do you do them?
1: I've I've done front on shots uh on a couple deer so far. Yeah. And then I think I've taken one front on shot on a deer with a rifle, and then my first elk was a hard quartering two um with my rifle yeah and so i put it just inside the shoulder
0: yeah yeah it, it is a deadly shot i mean i think it's inside like 20 or whatever your comfort like your extreme comfort ranges i mean it's an open window right to all the good stuff i mean you can cut the you cut the carotid you cut the windpipe you can split the lungs hit the heart all with the same arrow like it is man that is a deadly deadly shot
2: yeah yeah i think with with elk, the big thing is it's all about um, distance and alertness. You know, an elk, especially when they're frontal on you, it's not like a deer. They don't drop. You know, like a eastern whitetail, they're gonna make a turn. You know, if they don't like something or they see you, they're gonna make a turn left or right. So it's all about the time it takes for your arrow to get to them on a frontal. Um, you know, I, I I wouldn't encourage even if you got them lined up. You know, past thirty yards, it's just too much time. You know, if, if they react to it and turn you know, then it, then it becomes an issue. But like you were saying, Brian, absolutely a super deadly shot if you hit your spot. So when you, what made you start
0: going West? I mean, growing up like me in Montana, did you have like siblings that had already done it? Cause that's my story. My brother and my dad had already started going West. What, what got you looking towards the, towards the horizon?
2: Yeah, none of that. Um, you know, dad got me into waterfall hunting, um, you know, some deer and Turkey type stuff. Um, but as for out west, I mean, I, I got my dad on his first muley and antelope. Um, so, you know, I've, I've kind of taken over that, but what it really was, was moving to North Dakota and that, uh, that archery tag that we can get. Oh yeah. So as residents, we can get an archery tag. That's good for any, any one deer, muley, white tail, whatever. And so as soon as I came up here for college, um, in North Dakota, um, immediately started thinking about the Badlands and having, you know, the first opportunity at Mule Deer out there. And that, that is 100% where, um, it it started, you know, when you can go out there and absolutely embarrass yourself for, you know, as a youngin for a couple of years and learn so much about mealies, that's, uh, that was, I'll, a lot to that hunt for sure. Um, you learn a ton and and with a bow, you're, you're bound to, uh, get disappointed and have to learn from those experiences.
1: So, so is it just a one deer tag period or just one with your bow?
2: One with your bow. Yeah. So you get every year you get your bow tag. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm buying that every year and then, you can apply for your rifle tag so and that's kind of what i was saying before like if you really want a rifle buck tag and you're willing to travel you can get one in north dakota um so usually you know every year i'm ended up with with two two deer tags
0: yeah and there's some there's like some sleeper there's definitely some sleeper units out west so you can like you can build your meal deer points and then on the second draw get a whitetail buck instead everyone wants the muleys in those western units and there's some there's some stud whitetails out there and you know you're you're really playing the fringe game between like private public you know some of it's broken country it's none of them are ideal whitetail units but like not at all like (laughs) right like you're looking at this whole map of of i don't know how many square miles but it's this entire unit and you got like two half decent 480 pieces and like a couple like really bad one sixties and you're just like trying to find these rotten bucks just covering ground and crossing public.
2: Yeah. And the whitetail habitat is is not good. I mean if you were to take a chunk of some of these western like a section of western stuff and just transplant it to the east and it was public, no one would hunt it if they looked at the at the map. I mean it doesn't look at all like whitetail habitat. But then you get out there and they just they're they're acting different. Um, like I've, I've had those, those second choice tags a couple of times and I've shot bucks where the pronghorn should roam for sure. I mean, it is open prairie and they are bedded in stuff that Eastern wouldn't get caught dead in.
0: Yeah. Well, last year that was your take.
2: I mean,
1: they've, they've got to be covering a ton of ground in every day. I mean, if they don't have any cover.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They're not afraid to to cover ground. And they're also, I mean, they're using the train, um, a lot more. Um, I mean these nooks and crannies that you'll find them in, it's like, you'd think you would find everything or be able to glass up everything, but they know, you know, they know the nooks and crannies that they can, they can fit into and stay out of sight for sure.
0: Yeah. I remember the, the one second draw tag I had, I, like, found, I was, like, I think I'm going to see, these look like good spots. I'm going to sit here for the morning, didn't see a single deer in, like, what I thought was good <laughs> western whitetail habitat. So then I just started driving, just putting on miles, checking out different publics, and eventually I, I, one ran right across the road. I looked down at Onyx. I'm, like, oh, hey, by the way, that's public. Flip the truck around, back up, get out, do the stock, and shot it, you know, 300 yards from the road. I mean, like you're like, it's just, you know, we grew up, I grew up with, like, access to 650 acres of family land in, in the heart of whitetail country in Minnesota. And so like you think about like food sources, woodline edges, um, swamps, like that's what you look for for whitetail. And then you go out West and you're like, there's just like Ryan said, like there's one in the middle of a burnt pasture. Like this pasture has been grazed hard for three years straight and there's your buck.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I had, uh, it was not last year, but the year before. I had, you know, one of those Western Whitetail tags, and got out there early, and just found the best glassing knob I could find in the entire area, and just looked and looked and looked, and I found one group of Whitetails, and thankfully, and it was a good buck. Um, and I mean, you don't get lucky out there like that too often, um, and on public, again, super lucky, but. I don't know, that that story is kind of interesting. This I had just sounds uh,
1: like you're lucky a lot. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's definitely a part of it. Um, you know, it, a killer killer mindset helps. Um, you got to have that to, to pull oh, some yeah. of these crappy tags. I say crappy um, with with a heartfelt. I mean, I love them. I love taking those tags, and that's actually why I kind of had the uh, the backdrop that I do here because these are all my my euro mounts. Um, you know, I got shoulder mounts and stuff, but, uh, I think what makes a good hunter is not being obsessed with drawing the best tags or waiting to draw tags. It is taking the opportunities you have at the hand and you're going to learn a lot more on a tag that's makes it harder for you. Right. So uh, that's, that's been big for me. Um, take what you can get, learn from it, um, hunt often instead of waiting. It's a pro tip.
1: Man, that's good advice. I mean, I think that anybody listening to this needs to really soak that in because I think a lot of people wait to go out west, but they wait to hunt for mule deer, elk, or western whitetail until they draw that big, like, oh, man, I got unit two in Colorado. And if you're waiting for that, you're only going to get one or two hunts in your lifetime. Whereas yep. if you can get out there and get the experience, one, it's going to make you more successful once you do draw those trophy units. And two, I mean, there's there's big animals all over the place. You hear about people randomly shooting a monster in an, a unit that is not known for it at all.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you got to think about, you know, especially on a – if I'm talking about like some of these North Dakota tags that are easier to get, it is – the local residents that are going after these tags a lot of times. So they're not probably going to be, you know, this, the stiffest competition out there. And that applies to, I think, every state, um, these overlooked ones by, by non-residents, just because it's, you know, more broken public or takes more out of the box thinking to put together a hunt plan, um, keeps out a lot of the, the non-resident pressure, which, uh, Honestly, it seems like it's kind of two different types of pressure. You get, you know, non resident resident pressure. Um, And and a lot of these units, it's, it's the people that are like you that you kind of got to think around. Um, They're doing the same e scouting that you're doing, looking at the same maps that you're doing. So if you're willing to think outside of the box and work around boundaries um, and get in other people's heads, uh, it certainly can help a lot for your success.
0: Oh yeah. And like those units you're talking about, the locals are pro, like, uh, commonly the locals are applying for that unit. Cause they live that unit. That's where their family farm is. Like, so they have pretty good hunting. Yep. They're not, you know, I've never seen, you know, a local on public land out in some of these, what you would call maybe an access tag. Like it's a tag that you can get. It's not a trophy tag. It's like an access tag. It allows you to go chase a buck um you're not going like there's no pressure there's no like the locals are hunting they're 40 or they're at 160 or they're you know sometimes it's big but yeah you're you pretty much got the place to yourself like and that's the nice thing about hunting like those units that you and i hunt ryan is like you never see anybody chasing whitetail. sometimes you might find an antelope hunter you know one time i ran into a guy looking for elk and i had just had that elk tag so i'm thinking in the back of my mind like dude you aren't even close to where the elk live in this unit <laughs> Um, but it's yeah. access tags like you said it, you're gonna you're gonna become such a better hunter by hunting these access tags year in year out the skills that you need to, to develop and build on to like spot and stock a mule deer in some of these badlands open countries or to, to spot and stock a find even find a whitetail and then get in close to them in these open like real real low vegetation like units by the time you draw that limited entry that you might be building in another state, I mean, you're going to be a stone cold killer.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Not to mention the diversity of tags that you're going to end up getting. Um, I mean, I, with the exception of like, you know, archery hunting, the badlands multiple times every year, I I haven't hunted the same unit in any state, no matter the species. It, It is all about those access tags, different units every time. And it's not by, design it just it is what it is and that diversity of having to dig apart such different trained different units different species in every state um there's no better education than that i mean having to do that year in and year out you're gonna you're gonna learn a lot
1: and i would imagine going to these units where the the main focus is elk and mule deer not only is there not a lot of competition, but the guys that you do run into are probably more willing to tell you, Hey, I just saw a big whitetail buck down here. Cause they have no skin in the game. Like they're not going after it at all.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean that we all know that's not the case with muleys out in the West, both other hunters and landowners, you know, they, the, mule deer are you know, somewhat sacred. Um, or even, you know, that, that applies to antelope in some places too. antelope and whitetail. Um, Yeah. If you're in a unit where you're hunting, not the primo tag or even like a good elk unit that has mule deer in it, people are looking for the elk and they're willing to share that type of information. Um, so trailheads are are a great time to, to talk to people about that type of thing and, and get information that they're willing to give for sure. That's a great point.
0: You know, I just came up with a sleeper idea for anyone. And so, um, Whenever I'm out west, I I always ask, like, hey, what you guys looking for? Because I always want them to answer first so then I can, like, craft my answer accordingly. <laughs> um, and so I just got new plates on my truck. And you can get these custom, um, like, critical access plates in Minnesota. And so there's, like, a moose, a whitetail, a turkey, blah, blah, blah. Well, all the deer hunters get the deer one, right? Because you're like, oh, I'm a deer hunter. I want the deer plate. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm going to get the pheasant plate because it's orange. It looks closer to a North Dakota plate because a lot of people don't like Minnesota plates (laughs) out West because there's so many people like imagine you're growing up in your favorite spot and all of a sudden year after year you're seeing more and more plates and they're pretty much all Washington and Minnesota because that's just where the populations are when people are traveling. That's, that's a fact. And so you start to see these Minnesota plates, Minnesota plates, like every public you go to every spot you used to love to hunt. There's three Minnesota trucks there. You start to like, develop a little bit of a bad blood relationship with the minnesota plate so i'm like okay the pheasant plate looks more like north dakota and if someone sees my truck they're probably going to assume i'm pheasant hunting not deer hunting so they might talk yeah. to me more
1: that's a hot tip man
0: yeah yeah that's a hot tip so then like i'll be like hey what you guys looking for and they're like oh we're elk hunting i'm like hey i saw some elk over here they're like you know you guys seeing any meal deer and then they're like you know so you always ask first so you can kind of you don't want to like just overshare sometimes because you never know what kind of guy the person is. Like they might steal your spot or they might go steal your, they might go steal your elk sheds. Like you got to ask other people first what they're kind of doing. And then kind of, if they're like stone quiet, you're like, okay, I'm not going to tell this guy much. Cause he's not telling me anything like he, you know, it's kind of a quid pro quo.
2: Exactly. You yep. you give me something, I'll give you something. I mean, there's plenty of that and you can be mutually beneficial on the trailhead when you're doing those docs for sure even if you're on the same species um, just depends the type of person you're talking to.
1: See, I feel like you have to go one step farther and just have a big camera hanging from your chest and have your, <laughs> like have your bow covered somehow and just be like, I'm just trying to get some nature photos. Have you guys seen any big elk? Could you point me in the right direction? I mean, that's straight up dishonest. Whereas yours <laughs> is more, Hey, you go first.
0: Yeah, I'm just playing 3-dimensional chess. Dan, you're just trying to get the right information. <laughs> I'm hunting.
1: I'm just flipping the chessboard over. I'm just
0: going to let you think I'm pheasant hunting. I'm wearing blaze orange. I got pheasant plates. You can think what you want.
1: But <laughs> There you go. <laughs> Such a politician.
0: Yeah, you got to you got to you know, modern world, modern problems call for modern solutions. And they're like, exactly. you know, Ryan and I hunted the same unit in, in Southeast Montana. Was that two years ago, Ryan, where you guys were off in the, in the breaks, not really seeing what you wanted to see. And then you decided to switch it up and come to the unit that I told you not to come to and then saw the same thing we saw
2: in Southeast Montana. Okay. So to be fair on that, we did go to the, the yeah, breaks area, not to get too specific um, and it was good hunting, just didn't, didn't, uh, see what I wanted. We ended up two of the four shot them. Um, but that Southeast Montana. Yeah. I was very aware that right now, um, I I'll give a free tip right now. Um, if you, you draw the Montana tag, uh, Southeast historically is, is a great place to go right now. Maybe not. Wouldn't go there. Um, but that was after I had gotten that North Dakota whitetail. And the next day South Dakota whitetail. And then the next day, the Sunday, I decided might as well try Montana because I had all three tags. So I did go there, but it was after I was already in uh, Northwest South Dakota. Yeah.
0: He's already like, I got nothing to lose. And yeah. But what we saw on that trip, I mean, we, we, what we had heard going into Southeast Montana, and this is great for the listeners like, oh, I Googled Southeast Montana and all the forum guys says it's nuts, right? Bucks mm-hmm. everywhere. Well, that was 15 years ago. Um, yep. Now there's cars everywhere. And, you know, what me and my buddy saw is like we knew there was going to be pressure, but we worked hard. We knew there's going to be a lot of cars. We knew there's not big bucks, but we weren't looking for big bucks. Like we were just looking for a nice, like a good three by three or four by four, like the buck behind Ryan on the wall. That would have been we would have been tickled pink to shoot that deer, like even smaller than that. Mm-hmm. We would have been happy with. Man, we could hardly find a deer that was two years old on public. I mean, it was rough. And every, like, when there would be a piece of public that would have 50 yards crossing a road, like a 50 yards of this road, there's a public corner, four trucks stacked on it every time. And so I'm like, Jeez. Ryan's like, dude, you know, I'm I'm in the area. What do you think? And I'm like, dude, if I would really, like, I would go to the brakes or I would go somewhere else, man. This is rough. This is tough. We finally doubled on like medium-sized mule deer on the last day. um, And and then brought them, you know, packed them out. And then I think, Ryan, you shot your whitetail like two days later. But you basically pulled that same trick you, you were talking about earlier. When everyone else is going for a mule deer, like these western whitetails are kind of sleeper animals out there.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's – wasn't having good luck with the mule deer out there. You can definitely tell the population was – uh. Uh, on a down year so yeah i was like "Ah, screw it i'm gonna go start looking for whitetails so yeah i was even able to i didn't end up shooting on private but i got on a, a private piece of land um at, you know right before right before i shot mine so
0: yeah obviously permission land everyone don't don't write in with the hate comments
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah when i say i got private land it means yeah yeah, permission. Permission. I don't pay. Yeah. If, if that's what you're getting at, is that I would.
0: No, just like, pay. yeah, I shot him on private. Just like, just slipped that you, like, I don't care if it's private. I just went and trespassed and shot it. Oh. No, like, yeah, we're talking, <laughs> we're talking no. permission land. I know, like, personally, you wouldn't do the pay to hunt. There's a lot of trespass fee, which sounds really bad. I wish they came up with a better name for it, but it's basically like a one day lease.
1: That is a terrible name.
0: Yeah. I've always thought that. The trespass fee. Like, yeah, you can trespass if you pay a yeah. fee. It's like, well, then it's not trespassing. It's permission with a payment, like, like paid <laughs> yeah, permission. Like
2: you, I am paying to break the law or what? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. One week lease or
2: a day lease,
0: but they get expensive. It's like, like 500 bucks a person and there's no guarantee that you're going to do anything. Right. No.
2: Yeah. These days, I, I mean, there, there are very few trespass hunts that would be legitimately worth the money. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it, it, I mean everybody gets Here's this the- idea. These landowners, and rightfully so, there are guys that are willing to pay it, um, but those are different type of guys that are paying those fees, and that's. What Here's Chris a hot said. tip
1: though for peop for the people who are interested in doing a trespass fee. Um, I went and hunted waterfowl with this group called Infinite Outdoors, and it's a mobile app. They've got actually phenomenal mapping uh, software on their app, but you can do those day leases or those week leases that connects you straight. It basically, they're the broker between you and the landowner, but they have a team of biologists that go out there and make sure that it's a property that's actually worth hunting on. Um, so I'm talking, they'll fly into places, they'll do bush plane stuff, they'll go out there and sit on a river for waterfowl, they'll go check on turkey and make sure that there's actually a population that can be hunted so that you're not paying a trespass fee and not seeing anything
2: that's interesting yeah i I think i've heard of that coming around what's what state was that in
1: so i went i went to colorado for that hunt i think they're in like 14 states now though
2: okay
0: i mean it kind of sounds like north Coda's plots program and I think other states have this but it's like private land open to sportsmen and the NDGF biologist will come and tour your property and say like okay you got 100 acres here and this 20 is phenomenal habitat um we're going to pay you $20 an acre Um, this stuff over here, it's like a, you know, it's a pasture land, not that great of quality. We're going to give you like $2 an acre for that. And then they sum it all up and they pay the landowner, which you're paying right and your taxes and your, your tag fees. So it kind of sounds like a privatized version of that, which is interesting because it's, it opens up more access to more access to hunters.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's basically what it is. Yeah, I think North Dakota does a a good job of that, like you were saying, Brian, Um, actually assigning, you know, a value to it of how good it is. Because there there are definitely some places that I've ran into in the West where it's public or it's walk-in access, but you get in there and it is a putting green from cattle grazing um, or other things. And, you know, some of those things you can't always tell from the map and you get in there and it's like, if I was a deer, I wouldn't be here either. And they're paying the state is paying for it. It's, it's ridiculous.
0: We did a we did that that week we were in southeast Montana. First morning, we're both excited, and my my buddy is like, I'm like, what do you what do you want to shoot? And he's like, I don't know, just like an like a good mule deer, like a 170. And I'm like, do you know what a 170 looks like? And he's like, like that deadhead you got behind you. And I'm like, dude, that's 125 inch mule deer. Yeah. He's like, oh. I'd be happy with that. And I'm like, okay, good. I'm glad we got our expectations <laughs> on the same page because you're not finding a 170 very easily in southeast Montana. But we go to this BMA, like you're talking about, Ryan, and it was, there was a fire the year before, and not a lot of it had grown back yet because it was a drought. Um, so, like, fire with a drought is just a, not a good combination. That's not the burn area that all the experts out west say, like, oh, burn areas are great. Go hunt, like, the fringes of a burn all this regrowth and feed. Well, if there's a drought, like a five-year drought like Southeast Montana's had, you're not getting any regrowth. It's just a bunch of black trees. And then yeah. it was burnt from cattle grazing and the drought. And my buddy sees a buck. Um, It was a three-by-four, probably 120 to 130-inch mule deer, like, like literally 30 minutes into the first walk. And I'm like, oh, my God, this might actually work. Like, we might actually kill a deer on the first day. And he looks at it at, like, 250 yards in the scope and decides not to shoot it because it wasn't quite what he wanted. And for the rest of the week, regretted it. It was – we we didn't see another buck on public until the last day.
2: Yeah, I, I believe it. I mean, it's a, a great tip is too many people look at forums and it's like, yeah, you can get some – Good ideas, especially from the the years that people actually used to use forums and give good info on them. But uh, it's all about relevancy, time relevancy, too. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> look at what's happened over the years for population. Um, and, yeah, fires, too, same thing. Not all fires are created the same. There are some that are, they sterilize the soil, literally. And that will not be good for, could be 10 plus years there are other ones where two years after the fire it's insane food insane growth so definitely do your due diligence there too
0: yeah i think you well it depends on how hot it burns because how hot it burns no matter how much rain you get will take longer because it it literally burns the seed bed but even like a mild fire if you got a drought already like nothing's growing back until you get like a good year of rain and it's going to take like two, three years before you get the kind of regrowth that people are talking about. Yeah, yeah, that's a that we lot we learned that the hard way. The first day he was kicking himself, and then we tried to go back, and there was a guy that was like parked there, and you know he's parked where you are, so you never know did he go right or left off the road, and so we're like, well, he we probably went right, right, because we want to go left, so logically he would have went right. Sure enough, he went left. We walked into like a hundred yards behind him. And, and my buddy was an Eastern whitetail hunter. He's never hunted the West before. And so I'm like, I'm thinking maybe the same as you're thinking, Ryan, like 100 yards from another hunter in the West is like a deal breaker, right? I'm not yeah. like, he's here first. Where the, he, my mouth is like, well, let's just go over here like 200 yards. I'm like, dude, this is like the West. Like that guy's covering this whole ridge.
2: <laughs> yeah. I want to get away from him. Yeah. My- if he was there first, I want to get. Respect this space, but for my own personal, I, I do not want to be by you. And I don't want to trust that you're going to navigate terrain correctly, play wins right, glass correctly. I, or even rather just not like
0: trust that. how mad you would be if you're hunting a ridge and some guys like, oh, I'll just go 300 yards farther down the ridge. And so yeah. I'm like, no, we can't do it, man. Like, and he was pissed, like literally pissed at me. Like I thought it was going to get ugly, like just super angry. He's like, fine. F it and just starts stomping back to the truck. And I'm like, Oh boy, we got like three days left of this hunt. Like this could go south real fast. He, by the time we got like got back to the camp and figured out a new plan, he's kind of over it, but he really was kicking himself for, for passing what he thought was a, not a good buck. Turns out it was the biggest buck we saw the whole trip.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you'll, you'll learn real quick the other way around when you get to a spot and you have it all to your own massive you know piece of public. And it all seems just magical and then you realize it's like okay these are the other type of things that I need to look for
0: yeah for sure yeah exactly exactly so Ryan everyone in the, everyone that's ever hunted the west says you know don't pass on the first day what you would shoot on the last do you go by that or do you go by more of a just whatever feels good on this day I'm pulling the trigger
2: Uh I, I like to think that when I'm going into a unit, I understand what the unit is like. I, I definitely pay attention to that type of stuff. And I'm not one. I, I know the expectations for the unit. Um, so I'll meet those expectations. Um, but yeah, I would say, I mean, I I take such short trips. A lot of times um, I try and maximize the amount of tags, but then I'm you know doing the stuff like driving through the night. Um, so they ended up being short short hunt, so maybe first day i'll i'll let go um of, of something that would meet my expectations for the unit but um you know try and look for something uh second third fourth day but usually by the second day um if it meets the unit's expectations i'm, I'm pulling the trigger for sure
1: yeah that's a tough one i mean i hear that all the time that whole phrase, like "don't pass something the first day that you shoot on the last, or vice versa," and for me, I'm like, dude, I don't, I, I don't think I've ever set that criteria so firm that I had to stick to it. You know what I mean? Like, if I get excited about something, I'm gonna go after it. I'm gonna try to make a, make a shot on it. Or if it comes in to the tree stand and it gets my heart pumping, I, I wholeheartedly, unless you're on managed private property i wholeheartedly disagree with putting yourself in that box and potentially missing an opportunity especially as a non-resident paying five six seven eight hundred dollars for a license and then to be like no i said i wasn't going to shoot one like that so i'm going to go home empty-handed and kick myself for the next 350 days
0: yeah Uh, yeah my brother you said it about the excitement part right my brother's Um, he's a killer man. He's, he's like four for seven on archery elk on public land. Do it yourself, you know, general units. And he absolutely hates that saying. Like he gets like passionate about how much he hates that saying. He's like, just shoot what makes you happy. Like it doesn't have to be that hard. If it makes you happy today, shoot it. If it doesn't today, but does tomorrow, shoot it. Like just shoot what makes you happy. I'm like, dude, relax. Like it's, you're not talking to me. Like I I get it. it.
1: No, dude, I'm on board with him.
0: Yeah, he's like, it doesn't have to be so hard. Just shoot what makes you happy when it makes you happy, um, because we'll we'll do it. Like like you said, Ryan, you got to know what your unit you're in. Like if when I drew the North Dakota tag, like I knew I'm not shooting a 300 inch bowl in the North Dakota elk yep. tag. Like the the unit yeah. has 400s that are here every single year. I'm not shooting a 300, and I ended yep. up right smack dab in the middle. But for like a general unit, I almost think like don't even look like don't look up sizes, don't put a number in your head, just go out there and when that elk or that mule deer is in front of you at 30 yards, just you'll know, you will know, like Dan says, you're not going to be thinking about packing it out, you're not going to be thinking about whether you should shoot it, you'll know instantly, like your heart will be pumping and if it is, you know you're shooting this animal.
2: Yep, exactly, it's called the general tag for a reason (laughs) when you draw those ones, so.
1: You can always hold out for a big one, but I've, I've talked to other guys who have drawn tags like moose tags and elk tags down in Arizona in units that, like, are very highly coveted, and they don't pull the trigger on a bull, even though they would shoot it in any other place that they've ever hunted, and they're just like, oh, I just know. I know there's a bigger one. I know there's a bigger one. And then they end up shooting one that's 80 inches less on the final day because they – you know, there's definitely a bigger one. There's no guarantees. There really aren't. And, I mean, I get it. Don't go out there and shoot a spike if <laughs> if that's something you don't want to do. But, like, if it gets your heart pumping and you have to talk yourself out of shooting it, you probably should just pull the trigger or punch the release.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes it only takes a few hours to sort of get in the groove and understand the unit. Um, like, we had a Montana, well, the the Montana big game combo. So we had the deer tag as well this year, and we ended up hunting a spot that the first spot we tried in, and it was the last weekend of the season. So they were actually starting to get to wintering grounds. Um, absolute insanity with numbers of deer. Uh, you know, first spot we checked out, there's you know a couple hundred that if we sitting on a glassing knob that we could see, and you see something like that, and it's like okay, it's time to get selective, because you always know that you can go back to some of these spots and get on that buck that you glassed up that first day. You know, some spots you can't do that. If it's treating and stuff and it's like, ah, I'm getting lucky that I'm even seeing this buck right now. Maybe you should take the shot. But you know, if you got confidence in some areas, you absolutely kind of have the confidence that you can go back and find the same animal that you saw on the first day and go back to it. And so that that's actually kind of fun when you can do that. Absolutely. And start to gauge what the unit has to offer and, and uh, you know, just keep glassing. Oh, Dan had a Dan had a hunt like
0: that this last year, man. He was telling, he was giving me like every other day updates when he got cell service. But like the the mule deer you guys were seeing in Utah just blew my mind. He's like, yeah, we saw this. There's this big four by four, and there's this giant three by three, and we saw all these bucks, and we think we're gonna go after this other one we really like. But if we if we can't find him, there's a, and I'm just like, I have never in my life had a mule deer hunt where I could judge a buck. It was like, there's a buck that's legal. I'm going to shoot it.
1: Dude, we got into them and I'm, I hope to get back out there this year. If not this year, I'll be out there every other year because it's just, I've talked about it on the podcast a bunch, but it is this beautiful horseshoe shaped Canyon that has trails that come into the mouth of it. And then they immediately go up over the wall and they're just around the whole outside. Nobody hunts inside of it. And it's like all of the mule deer just funnel down in, they've got their little hidey holes and we, yeah. I mean, when we, we had one and a half hours, we had six bedded buck encounters, all that I would have shot for sure. Like no question about it. And unfortunately we just couldn't quite get in range or if we did get in range didn't get a good shot opportunity but it was it was lights out i will not be giving those coordinates away anytime soon
0: (laughs) dan's gonna blindfold me and and from like the montana border and all the way through wyoming and in utah i'll be blindfolded until we get to camp lock me in the back of his RV and just yeah. drive me out there.
1: Yeah. Give
2: me your phone. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, I do. I going
1: to get the tranquilizer dart to date you somehow.
0: Yeah. That's, it's tough though. Cause you, like you got to really trust people when you're bringing them to your spots, you know, it, cause anyone can pull out onyx and just start putting pins down. And Dan and I talked about this just on the last podcast with Stephen Walker about shed hunting you know, and and we're talking about getting a a trip planned with Steven today. We're going back and forth, like which week works for you. And, but it's like, he's going to be great enough to bring us out. Like you almost have to blacklist that spot. Like if you call Steven next year and say, Hey, I'd love to get out again. Is it okay if we go and he brings you, that's great. But to like go back to his spots without him. And that's just shed season. I mean, talk about like a, a trophy mule deer unit, like you were in Dan, like it's so hard to know who you can trust to bring out.
1: I talked exactly. to an Alaska fishing guy used him and there was a, there was a client that came out and he was, he wasn't even trying to hide it. He pulled out his phone and had Onyx and he was telling the fishing guy that he planned on coming back to the spot. He's like, yeah, we figured we'd come get some good Intel and then come back the, the next day. And the fishing guide told him, he goes, put your phone away or it's going overboard. And the guy's like, Oh, uh, hold on just a second. Let me punch this in. And, and he continued to like try to save spots, and that that Alaska fishing guide grabbed his phone and literally chucked it in the water. I mean, the guy never got his phone back, and the guy uh, the guide immediately drove back to shore and dropped him off.
2: Yeah, that's like to the point of arrogance. I mean, I, I think that's a thing for fishing guiding for sure, um, but under wraps. But yeah, that 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 amount of arrogance, he uh, almost get what you're coming through yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, I've, I've, never had, I've never gotten burned by telling someone a spot. But I've also grown up, like, my brother's more experienced than I am hunting the West and just hunting in general. And so I kind of just, you kind of grew up knowing, like, you, you, you don't want a big mouth when you're talking about hunting. You know, you don't want to tell people how, like, you got a monster buck on your farm. You know, because there's poaching, there's trespassing, people steal spots. And so I kind of always just had that, like, know-how in the back of my mind. Just watching him talk to people and just like you don't want to overshare like if there's a friend or like someone's in dire need like yeah we help but you don't want to just like hey how's it going seeing any elk and then don't even let them respond like we saw a bunch of bulls on this spot the other day and all of a sudden you're six trucks in your spot you know it it just it's so hard to to know to who to bring or who to talk to
2: yeah yeah you almost got to phrase it at that point um it's like the guys that ended up coming with you, and then you realize it's a good hunt. It's like, okay, this is even if I might have found the spot. It's like, okay, this is our spot now. Like, you keep this on the the wraps, you know I will. And the next time we come back, it's me and you. So even picking that first person it, it, to go on the hunt, it's it's someone that you'd want to go back there with if it ends up being good. Yeah. I mean, we had that this year for our rifle um tag. We we filled out the two that we didn't fill our, in our tree. That spot was phenomenal. And it's like, I even have other people on my Onyx and they're guys that I trust and hunt with, but I took those pins off of Onyx. Cause I mean, we share accounts or whatever. And it's like, cause it's now it's me and this other guy's spot. We're going back and I, I, I can't let anybody know, a, you know, a golden nugget like that. So
0: dude, that's next no, level. Trust. Sharing an Onyx dude, account.
2: That, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I won't even well,
1: share my Onyx account with my brother.
0: You want to know how tight-lipped Dan is? I didn't even know he had a brother.
2: There you (laughs) go. Dan's brother probably got all the spots.
1: I I don't. I'm just throwing you guys off my trail. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, can't go to that spot. It's kind of my brother's spot. You know, it doesn't even have a brother. Exactly. Exactly. So... well. what is, what's the plan this year? I mean, we're right in the middle of app season, Ryan. Um, unfortunately, Wyoming's already over, but uh, Montana's coming right back up. You guys got plans again for this fall. Are you going to try to hit up Montana again and draw the big game combo, or are you running short on points?
2: Um, Yeah, kind of, I mean, you got to split it up into the the guaranteed stuff and then the hopeful stuff. Um, no, I'm going to Colorado for deer this year. Um, really looking forward to that. I mean, mountain hunting mule deer doesn't get any better than that. And then Wyoming antelope, um, got a, got a big crew going out there. Um, South Dakota mule deer. So got some good guaranteed tags in there. And then, um, yeah, I'm throwing in for the, the Wyoming elk, uh, at four points. We'll see about that. I mean, I don't think it's a, a secret anymore that, uh, this year is going to be an interesting one for Wyoming elk um a lot of changes coming um so who knows I, I don't know if everyone's gonna be throwing in or people are gonna be sitting on things but uh we'll see it's a tag that i want but uh yeah between that and then I, again applying for uh montana with uh zero points another you doing the zero points tip. zero points it's, strategy.
0: it's not subtle anymore go hunt wrecked it for everyone
2: yeah not everyone has a gohan membership and not everybody looks at the regs but yeah it's i okay i thought last year it'd be much better known but the odds the odds chart for montana last year as far as like the zero one two were almost identical
0: we me and my bro so we had seven and montana's party size is five just who picks five um but anyway so we had to split our group up so me and my brother went solo, or as a team, tag team, and then the other five applied. And they had one guy that had a point, so they were at like a .2% average, um, or .2 point av- zero, they had a fifth of a point combined. Um, and so they're like, well, we're screwed, like we're in no man's land, so we might as well do the point when you apply. And so they bought points and applied me and my brother went with the zero point strategy. We all send in our stuff the next day, go hunt releases the strategy article that talks about this whole thing. Anyway, we, me and my brother draw with zero. They don't draw with a one, one point, two point average.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, you gotta know that, that little tip in Montana. Um, The year before, And they average the points. That's when it was like you could, some people would get it at one. You're guaranteed at two. I had two points. Everybody else had the one. All it takes, all it took was like an inch above one and you got it. Well, this year it was like you got to have an inch above two to get it, you know, on your party size. So um, that's another tip too uh, for some of these states that do average points is even if, even if you can't get a party together, but you're aware of the deadline by the point in some of these states because then you'll get your other party members to you know start catching up or getting those points and all it takes is one guy to have that extra point and you put yourself above a ton of other people it's Um, another another tip there i love
0: how you brought that up because we me and our group literally had this exact same conversation and it's it's kind of like beer goggles at the bar right like Like, certain people start looking a little bit more attractive later on in the evening after, like, Mm -hmm. six drinks, right? Certain people start looking like a better elk hunting partner when you find out they got seven points in Wyoming. (laughs) And we have a guy that's been, year one, he was slated to go. He was going to be a part of the original OG archery elk team, and he, like, blew his knee out. And ever since, for seven years, it didn't work out like schedules, group sizes, and so he's been building points in Wyoming this whole time. And he was supposed to be in our group, though. And now this year we we're like one point away. Like Ryan said, Wyoming's just a dumpster fire for trying to get non resident tags. It's a great state, don't get me wrong, great state, great elk, but the point creep is insane. It's on like a it's on a on a on a interest growth track that I wish my four hundred one k was on because this thing is skyrocketing. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, man, that other cat, he's starting to like, look like a good addition to the elk group when he's going to have eight, nine points coming in.
2: Yeah. If, uh, if you guys are anyone that, you know, has three antelope points in Wyoming, give me a call. Cause I got a, I got a group full of two and I'm doing my scouting and stuff. And it's like, yeah, we'll, I mean, we'll find a unit for sure at two. Um, but if you can get a hair above two, I'd opens up the I happen to know a guy a that's a got lot. five yeah who's that me I got five Ooh.
0: I got five my brother's got seven or eight he's been doing the he's been doing the North Dakota whitetail trick in Wyoming antelope for like six years getting Se- second draw second draw buck tags and keeping his points
2: okay yeah he's got private land to hunt then he does he does have private land to hunt.
0: it's a it's a unit okay. that does have public but the, it's not great
2: I don't know if we've ever seen an antelope on public. Um, Yeah. 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 That's how Wyoming antelope is. I mean, the odds, that's the type of hunt where the odds don't lie. Um, If you can pick the tag up on a second choice, uh, there's a reason. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, They were driving around the first year. His, he let his daughter shoot first, my niece. And she she shot, I think she did shoot her buck on public, but then there was like nothing. It was just bone dry. And they're driving around just looking for antelope. And my brother's looking at the map and like, no, uh, we got to go here and we got to go there. And she's like, there's some antelope right there. And my brother's looking, he's like, oh, dude, that that guy lives, like, right in this house right here, which isn't common out right. west. Like, usually it's, like, some random state, and you, there's no way you're going to track that person down. So he knocks on the door. Yeah. oh yeah. He's like, yeah, I suppose you guys could go out there and hunt antelope. And for six years, they've been hunting that same guy's ranch. I'm
1: yeah, having a you, kid helps. The wingman, like... The wingman strategy is where it's at. A good-looking wife or a good-looking lady with you or a child and your odds of getting access go through the roof.
0: Well, as you know, that's kind of funny. I was just thinking about when Ryan was explaining his fall, like keep in mind as busy as that sounds, the dude also is a waterfall killer. So he's also adding probably equal number of days out in a duck blind or a, a goose spread. And so when you start talking about a wing woman with Ryan, you better pray to God, Ryan, you find someone that loves hunting as much as you, because the amount of days you spend out there, there are no other days for the (laughs) summer vacation or a beach vacation or, you know, going off to doing this apple orchard tour in October. I mean, you better pray. She loves hunting.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's there's no space for
1: resentment for the trips you've been on.
2: (laughs) No, no. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i know it's it's all cool yeah you gotta you know, think outside of the box i'm actually so i should add this in i'm actually going to hawaii uh next thursday people are like oh are you going with the family or the girlfriend it's like "No, we're a couple of buddies are going out there hunting and fishing so
0: doing the doing the access deer
2: not doing the access that'll, that'll be for next time but we're going to the big island for uh turkeys and um and the, the sheep that they got there so nice nice yeah that'd be cool
0: that's the kind of trip where you could bring a girlfriend and then she'd just she'd be happy as a clam to just sit on the beach and drink my ties while you're off
2: arrow and hogs and Javolinas. exactly
1: <laughs> that's my plan
2: exactly yeah yeah that's i mean i i don't even care how this first trip goes just learning how the system works because Hawaii. I mean, everyone complains about certain states, like maybe Montana, about their licensing system. Hawaii is the Wild West. It's terrible. <laughs> so figuring it out first, and then we'll worry about Bringin'. actually setting up a vacation with it. So,
0: so that kind of is a good point with the destination style hunts. Are you? Do you have certain sleeper states or certain trophy states that you're building points in, and you don't even really apply or hunt, and then you're hunting these access tags in the meantime? I have a spreadsheet that I've shared with Dan, and he just was like, "Dude, you're, you're ridiculous! Such an engineer."
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm the same way. I, I I manage a lot of people's points and like that type of thing on spreadsheets for sure. Um, but no, I, I would say, I mean, all the all the states that I currently put in for, I'm expecting to hunt, you know, here and there. Um, I mean, as far as sleeper states, they're really it's harder to find them anymore as sleeper states. Cause you could talk about like building points in like a Washington or an Oregon wouldn't recommend it really, I guess, um, Arizona. It's like, everyone kind of understands what they're getting into. Um, it's a, a long points game. You don't, especially being from North Dakota, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna draw an access tag in Arizona. I have to pass through a bunch of other good hunting on that 24 hour drive to get down there um so you know that's that's kind of not in the focus but new mexico definitely is i'll be putting in for um several new mexico species just because it's actually pretty economical to do so um in a way it's actually probably a per species basis it's if you're going to put in for a few species cheaper than most other western states um you just gotta upfront the the tag costs. So if you're trying to go after Oryx and Ibex and Elk and all that, it's like you better be okay with uh being down a couple couple few grand for a couple months. So
0: and talk about that's, a that's that's sleeper. Talk about a, a calendar breaker. New Mexico, because you can't plan on anything. There's no point system, yep. there's no analytics, you're putting in, but you're planning on you're most of the time you're planning on not drawing. And you're swinging for the fences. But in the meantime, you got to plan the rest of your fall. We're going to go elk hunting in Montana, do all these other things. And then all of a sudden you get an email from the New Mexico Game and Fish that you drew this once-in-a-lifetime elk tag, and the whole calendar just goes out the window.
2: Yep. <laughs> yep. But worth it. Worth it, yeah. <laughs> worth it.
0: I've got a sleeper sleep. If you plan it right. Yeah, if you plan it right. If you pick the right unit. Like, you're not going to do the 40% unit in New Mexico because it's just not worth the stress of trying to plan around for what you're getting in a tag um from this far away from north dakota right if you live in arizona go for it hunt it on the weekends but um yep. no i got a sleeper i got a sleeper t- state that i'm building points in and when i say sleeper state i'm talking like roofie's sleeper like this state i'm I'm building points in utah which is like a 30 year program so
2: yeah that's a that's a tough one uh, i was surprised to hear dan that you had uh gotten in on a tag I, I missed that was that an archery or a rifle tag
1: that was an archery tag and I didn't even put in uh my friend Linnea she had just got a bow and had been practicing all summer messed up her shoulder so she had a drop in poundage screwed like didn't feel confident out to certain ranges but she put in with zero points and got a tag and it's an area that's really well known for elk and we did run into a lot of elk hunters but we just went out there got i bet you we had a dozen plus encounters inside of 70 yards with big bucks and uh she even the first time ever hunting and i think this is our second day seeing mature deer and she she stalked one into 15 yards and she drew back got up from her knees and there was a log in between her and the deer, and when she stood up, all she could still see was the head, ears, and antlers and had no shot. And it went straight from bedded to a full sprint. But I bet you, in addition to those closer encounters, we probably we probably doubled or tripled that in sightings within 300 yards of big, big bucks. Yeah.
2: Yeah, That's I wild. believe
0: it. I'm trying to hunt. To some good bucks. I'm trying to hunt elk in the Boulder unit or the Dutton unit, which is like a right now it's at 25 points to draw. I got a point four percent chance. I want to. I'd love to go with Ryan Carter from DC Jeez. Outfitters. I think the dude trail cameras more 400 inch bulls than anyone I've ever seen in my life.
2: Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Not anymore though. Yeah yeah Utah's <laughs> Maybe, yeah, Utah's playing
0: point. a little fast and loose with the laws coming out of Congress on hunting rights. Um, they got yeah. the trail camera ban now they're doing the sheds closure. Utah's getting a little feisty over there. You're gonna have yeah, they might always, have some people yeah, cussing for the first time in their lives over in Utah.
2: That's a good way to put it. yeah they've always been kind <laughs> of a uh, they're a little little sketchy about land type stuff over there
0: Utah's a state that has like out of all the states and there's there's exceptions everywhere but it seems like the the hunters in utah have a passion and a drive that is unparalleled in most other places like the guys that run in trail cameras or the shed hunters or the elk hunter like these dudes are on another level it seems like every big shed hunter is from utah um seems like all these like 400 inch guides are all in like utah it utah is just a wild state
2: it is yep so yeah it's not one that i i apply for right now i just i look at those odds and it's like and again i have to drive through so much other good hunting and i, I mean i got like the dakotas and in montana to look forward to that yeah Great, great tag picker uppers. So
0: I hear you. Yeah, I always try to get the access tags and sleep on the limited entry options down the road. Um, But yeah, it is what it is. It's just hunting.
1: Yeah, I am curious to see what these different, like, what all these eastern states and Midwest states that are picking up elk or having elk reintroductions, starting to open up seasons. I'm, I'm curious to see how that's going to play into western access and tags and availability and draw odds because really realistically i think in the next 20 years we're going to see another dozen states that open up elk seasons and they might not be for non-residents but it gives the residents an option to go and hunt there instead of travel all the way out west
0: yeah it definitely could i've always thought about just like how big are those herds going to get before the the local farmers and the local egg community starts to, like, push back and be like, hey, elk are cool, but I still have to make a living? Because we see that a lot in North Dakota. Like, that's the number one limiting factor on the North Dakota herd um, is ranchers don't want any more elk. And so yeah. we don't even have a sustainable herd to open up non-resident hunting. The only way you can hunt elk in North Dakota as a non-resident is to buy the auction tag or win a raffle tag. Um, and so... Day. Yeah, I kind of wonder. Like I've, yeah, the local guys that get drawn in like Missouri, they might not go out west that year. But yeah, just kind of curious like how it's going to happen because there's so much population on the east. You know, where are these elk going to go live?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously Appalachia is the the place they're looking into, and rightfully so. Um, you know, less less ag to get into there. Yeah, it's definitely something I've, I've thought about. Um, I mean, Kentucky has done a heck of a job uh, getting there getting their herd up and going um i even i've thought about throwing in for that one too so it's kind of you know could go the other way around too it's like i'm a guy that has pretty decent access to the west i'm not coming from all the way out i just like i'm getting an elk tag you know every year um and now i'm thinking about going or at (laughs) least applying for kentucky (laughs) so it's like it it might go the other way around too it's like people think like that would be super cool to hunt elk in the appalachians might as well try it so
0: I think Randy Newberg just did a giveaway with Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation um, for the Kentucky elk tag and guided by Randy. And I'm like, that would be sweet. But I've heard some nasty stuff about the Kentucky, like, like we think some of the stuff we hunt is steep and gnarly. Like some of those mountains are pretty nuts.
2: Yeah, and a oh yeah, a jungle too. So.
0: Awesome, man. Well, Ryan, we're coming up on an hour 15 already, man. Time has flown by. I, Dan and I have this problem. Every time we start talking about hunting, it's like, dude, half the day just went by.
2: Um, <laughs> every yeah. Time. Who doesn't? Yeah,
0: dude. But it's awesome to kind of hear your take on like the Western whitetail and the, you know, coming from a flatland background and then diving into the, all these different opportunities. I mean, that's what the podcast is really about. Is just truly how many opportunities are West of the Missouri. Yep. So, Awesome. Well, yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you being here, bud. Appreciate you getting the chance to meet Dan, the the original OG
2: host. And
1: yeah, thanks for hopping on, man. Yeah.
2: yeah, absolutely. Blast talking to you guys. And I have never passed up an opportunity to do that. So, yeah. Anytime you want to come
0: out and call for us, Dan and I will gladly take you up on the hour. Um, You might eat, like we won't even be mad if it takes you till like 1030, 11 in the morning to to call in our bulls. Um, we'll we'll be we'll, we're fine with it. We're We're not too picky.
1: I love calling. I wish I could do like Um, praise hands emoji on the podcast. I don't think that's possible, but yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. The listeners definitely wouldn't get it, but yeah, um, that's nuts. (laughs) So awesome. Thanks for being here, buddy. and, And thanks for listening, folks.